I'm Peter Medlin. You are listening to Teacher's Lounge. Welcome back. Or if you've never heard the show before, welcome. And we've got one question for you. Who's the best teacher you've ever had? We believe that almost everyone has had a teacher, coach, or counselor, some educator who inspired them or helped you become the person that you are today. And every educator we have on this show is nominated by our audience. So please tell us about the person who comes to your mind when we say that. Shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today on the show, we have Libia Chapman. She's taught a little bit of everything in her career fifth grade dual language, reading intervention, classroom gen ed, and she's also dabbling in a bit of everything outside the classroom too. She's written several books, including To the Things That Heal and The Brown Teacher's Guide to Education. I was sitting one day talking to my friend and I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a guidebook for new teachers, like an actual guide with like stories and tips, but not like an educator book in a sense of like a lot of jargon, but just like a keeping it real book. You know, you want to ask teachers sometimes like, okay, so what's the scoop? What's this culture like? What's this career like? What's this job like? And you can't always do that. So I wanted the book to kind of read almost like a gossipy conversation. She's also got a woman-focused self-love podcast. We talked about her self-love journey and how it's impacted her as an educator. And we talked about how to engage with creativity and so much more. Before my conversation with Livia, I've got a few more stories for you. I recently had a story air on NPR's Morning Edition about media literacy. Between the contentious 2020 presidential election and the pandemic, To say the least, the past few years have been a perfect storm for internet misinformation. And now Illinois is actually leading the charge on media and news literacy. And it just became the first state to require high schools to teach media literacy classes. Here's an example of one startling experiment. Researchers showed an anonymous Facebook video to more than 3,000 American high schoolers. The video circulated before the 2016 presidential election and claimed to show people ballot stuffing during that year's primaries. They asked students a simple question. Is this strong evidence of voter fraud in the U.S.? Out of those more than 3,000 students, three figured out that actually the video came from Russia. That's Joel Breakstone, who heads the Stanford History Education Group, which conducted the study. There is a widespread misconception that because young people are adept at using digital devices, that they are also skilled at making sense of the information that those devices provide. Under the new curriculum, Illinois students will analyze news content across platforms. Breakstone's group spent the last year working with ninth graders at a suburban Chicago high school, integrating news literacy into subjects like geography and biology. It found that what helps students distinguish misinformation the most is something called lateral reading. That can be as simple as opening a new tab and leaving the post to find more about the source of information. It appears to be effective. Students reportedly got a lot better at spotting questionable sources. But this effort takes time and practice. Students say they often didn't see why, for example, a company writing about climate change receiving funding from the fossil fuel industry could skew the story. Many assume that if a social media influencer has tons of followers, it means they're trustworthy. Students like this Naperville, Illinois freshman practiced by finding popular social media posts about nutrition and recording themselves fact-checking like this. Okay, so I found this post on Instagram. So as you can see right here, it says that she is a dietitian, And there's also another place right here that even shows like she has a diploma in clinical nutrition. For this to work, teachers also have to be media savvy. 
Students say they often struggle because the strategies teachers provide for evaluating sources can be outdated. Peter Adams heads the News Literacy Project, which trains teachers, provides lesson plans, and sometimes brings them into newsrooms to show the reporting process. Adams says many teachers worry about being perceived as partisan. We really encourage folks to redirect that into looking at standards and practices and really comparing coverage. And teachers have to create a classroom experience where students feel comfortable talking about political issues, all while knowing how and when to push back on baseless conspiracy theories. Teacher Allie Neese has had to fight back on misinformation about the January 6th attack on the Capitol that students brought to her government class in Chicago. We are not here to deny them the ability to engage in dialogues and discourse where they disagree. But there is a difference when the issues that we are bringing to the table and talking about are issues, are important. Nice likes to give examples of what journalism can do, citing history and the disclosure of things like the Pentagon Papers. The Illinois law will go into effect with the 2022-23 school year. And at this point, 14 other states have some media literacy standards already in the books. Now for a quick news roundup to catch you up on some news you might have missed over the last couple weeks. Illinois students are back to school, which I'm sure that you already know. And this is already the third school year they've been affected by the pandemic, which is kind of wild to think about. Obviously, masks are mandated at Illinois public schools, and some districts so far have defied the order around 30. But for context, there are over 800 public school districts in the state, not even counting private schools. It's also back to school for universities, many of whom have not only masks, but vaccine requirements. At Northern Illinois University, for instance, students must receive a COVID-19 vaccine before returning to campus, or they have to participate in weekly surveillance testing. Students can submit exemptions, including for religious or medical reasons. There's also a personal exemption, which can only be exercised until the FDA fully approves the COVID vaccines, which is expected to happen in the next few weeks, so keep an eye on that. But anyway, NIU freshmen did arrive on campus for the first time this week, ready to start their college journey during yet another pandemic-impacted year. Angel Smith and her mom ran to Walmart to pick up the last item off her shopping list before dropping her off, disposable face masks. Along with mandatory vaccinations or COVID tests, it's another reminder that the college experience is a bit different during COVID-19. But that's not what Angel is most concerned about. I am nervous about the in-class part because I haven't been in a classroom or class setting in so long. Over a year, to be exact. She learned remotely all of last year, so she barely remembers what it's like sitting in class taking notes. Most NIU classes are in person this fall, but if the campus case rate exceeds 8% due to the Delta variant, Angel could be back to remote learning this year, too. Okay, now it's time for the main event, my conversation with the delightful Libya Chapman. When the pandemic started, I was back in the classroom. And of all the years to be back in the classroom, I was back in the classroom when that started. And it was hard. You lose, like, all of your management, all of your structures. I mean, the kids are at home, so they're under the jurisdiction of their parents. The, the, the cool thing is, though, you do get an in-depth look at the lives of your students a little bit more. Um, as people, right? And that, that human aspect of not, they're not just like your students, but like, what is their home life like? You might hear things that maybe you shouldn't hear or, you know, whatever. So keeping them engaged through all of that is hard. But what I did learn is not to force kids to turn their cameras on. Sometimes there's stuff going on in the back that the rest of the class doesn't need to see. So even though it's awkward to talk to a blank screen, sometimes like depending on their home life, it was necessary. 
Yeah, I've heard about like TV, not only TVs being on, siblings running in the background, I've heard of like people doing calisthenics in the background. There's pull-ups and sit-ups yeah. happening and it's just everything that you could possibly imagine in the background yes. is happening in the background. Yeah, so it can be, it was it was really a challenging year to be back in the classroom, but we we survived it. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a year to go back. And you know, it's, it seems like, you know, like I feel like for the, even though it's been, a main topic of conversation in education for years, like mental health really stepped into the forefront during the pandemic. And for you, who has, you know, written books about self-love and these kind of ideas and empathy, right? Like, I'm curious of you kind of getting into that headspace and writing about these topics. Has that changed, you know, since you've had this journey of, of self-love, has it changed a little bit of your perspective on education and how you go about teaching? Yeah, a lot, actually. I think that um, I have a different level of like understanding with my students that I didn't have before I went on my own journey. Um, I would also say my, my daughter is seven. So stepping into motherhood and also being a single parent now, like I, I, started, I started education as a young childless 20 something year old. Um, got married, had a child, got divorced, went through this entire, um, you know, shift in my life and what everything looks like. And I think, so on the, on a positive side, it has given me more empathy. It's given me more connection. I now look at my coworkers differently. Um, like I, I just see them as humans, right? Like we all have this story in the same way that I'm carrying around my story. I know that each person that I meet in that building is carrying around their own story as well all the way up to the administration, right? Because sometimes we uh, hear teachers are very like critical on, on their leadership, but understanding that even your leadership has a story and they have things that they're going through and dealing with and processing. And sometimes we can't always understand the load that our students are carrying, the load that our uh, coworkers are carrying. So just a different perspective on people and a different level of, of empathy and wanting to get to know people and approaching people and situations with a little bit more curiosity rather than judgment and assumptions. So I think that's been the biggest shift for me. Right, well, I think it's something that like, as people, we kind of intuitively know, like if you were to come up and say like, you know, everyone has a family, everyone has a history, everyone has a story, like that makes sense. But to approach, you know, every situation and your job and your friends like that really kind of does take a mindset shift just day to day. Absolutely. I agree with that. I also think that I've discovered um, through the pandemic, I especially so many other things that I love to do outside of teaching. So I've made the decision that I want to try a new career path. And so I'm looking at schools and I'm looking at, um, you know, different options um, within the next couple of years to try out something new. And that's scary. That has been probably scary for me too, that with that perspective, with that self-love, with that healing came a lot of getting to know myself and realizing, oh, okay, I had this dream when I was a kid. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to do all these great things. And I feel like I, I have um, seen that through in a lot of ways. And I've really enjoyed that process, but also now like loving myself enough to say, okay, now it's time to let go of that dream and start to identify with something else, start to identify with yourself as a writer, as a public speaker, as a podcast host, and like get in touch with those areas. And through that self-love, it like it built confidence to be able to say, hey, I can be 
other things outside of the space as an educator and not judge myself for it and say that's okay and try to explore some of those things. So it's been it's been a, a really interesting journey and how it's impacted my perspective on education. Yeah, that's fascinating. I know one of the books that you've written is uh, is kind of about mantras and, and quotes that you can say to yourself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of, of one of them that I always think about, and I can't even really remember where I heard this quote the first time, but you know, you talk about like how self-love and building confidence and, and kind of knowing different directions that you can go into. One quote that I always think about is uh, confidence is knowing that you have options. And I love that. I, I love that. And it, it, I always think about it that way too, right? Like if you really can practice self-love and know who you are, then you feel like not only do I have options, but I also have the ability to follow through on those options if I need to and, and pivot if you yes. need to. Yes. No, I, I love that. I've never heard that. That is like amazing. I, that needs to be like on a t-shirt and in a book somewhere. Like They can have it for free. Amazing. They can put it on a t-shirt, put it on a, I want to ask for the royalties. <laughs> yes. You need to coin that. Um, I totally agree with that because, you know, you have to have confidence to kind of step out. Like I, I tried some other like paths and it was like closed door, closed door, closed door. So it's like, okay, it's going to take some time, right? Like yeah. it can be a little daunting. It could be a, a, a real blow to that ego when you're used to being in a space for the last decade where you know everything and you know what you're doing. Um, so it's really, like you said, like just embracing those possibilities and feeling like I can do it. That's such a big thing. Like there are so many people, not even just in education, just in general, that want to do other things. They have talents, they have passion. But if you don't have that belief within yourself that you can do it, not just to see the possibilities, but to actually step out and go for it. And furthermore, take the no's. Like I would hear these little speeches about, you know, I got 50 no's before my first yet. <laughs> like, right, which is like, I think yeah. they forget what it's like to have those first 50 no's before that Ooh. yes, right? Because when yes. you're 48 no's deep, it's pretty tough to have that outlook. Yes, yeah, you're just like, am I capable? Like, you know what I mean? Like, can I do this? Am I capable? Like what? So through like loving yourself, getting to know yourself and having that confidence, you're kind of able to be a little adventurous, you know, and just be kind of comfortable in that space of like not knowing there's, I call it living in the gray. Like you got to get a little comfortable living in the gray. And I definitely feel like that's where I am right now. I'm living in this gray and it's, it's beautiful. Like I've moved across the country. I moved to the South I moved to Georgia um, from Illinois. So that's been really cool to do that, especially as a single mom and to go through this whole journey, right? Like, it's just been really interesting to do. So, but it's still in the gray, like it's still not all clear. It's not black and white cookie cutter. Yes. My life is lined up. Everything is the way that I, you know, no, it's this process of just figuring out what I like. You try it. Do I like it? I got down here and I'm like, okay, I like this. That worked (laughs) like this so far. So good. Um, but yeah, just, just getting kind of comfortable, not knowing in the process. Yeah, living in the gray. And one of the things that you tried out that you do really like is podcasting. Tell us a little bit about the podcast that you do on top of educating and on top of writing. Um, The podcast is the Self Love Sister podcast. And um, I really started it up because uh, I realized that a lot of other creatives had podcasts. And Um, bigger than that, I really wanted to just kind of expand on the subjects that I was talking about in my books and have an opportunity to share like more of my life and more of my experiences with people around me. 
in a way that was just very like natural and comfortable and non-threatening where I could just kind of uh, have a controlled rant for lack of a better term because a lot of my first episodes are just me talking about my books, about my experiences, just, you know, blabbering away. Um, and then I decided I wanted to start interviewing people and making more of those connections that I was having in my DMs on Instagram, women replying to my posts, women replying um, to, you know, my stories. I thought that was really cool. And I'm like, hey, I'm having some really fun dialogue in my DMs sometimes about things that I post. I should start to bring this onto the show. So it's intimidating to me to ask people to interview. I get very nervous about that because I'm not a well-known author. I'm not famous. I don't have a name or anything like that. And uh, I guess you could say I have a platform, but I never see it that way. I'm always like, I don't have a platform. And then people are like, well, you do. Like if you're recording and you're um, putting out content, then you do have a platform. So I, I get, you know, intimidated. And sometimes people say no. They say no. They don't respond. Um, but that's taking the nose, right? As you kind of figure it out and work through it. But I do enjoy it. I do really love it. Right. And like you said, your books your first book, I believe, was a memoir about heartbreak, largely. And mm -hmm. the podcast is touching on a lot of those themes and about self-love and everything that, like you said, is, is pretty intimate. And I'm wondering about the things doing the show so far that have surprised you when you're hearing other people's stories and digesting that and, and kind of filtering it through your own lens. I think just the similarities, you know, uh, sometimes like people even that we know have not shared with us some of the deepest things that they've been through and they haven't told us the times they've been in the trenches. And so it's a really great opportunity to kind of dive deep. And a lot of what I enjoy about writing poetry and writing books is the connection. You know, when I write a book, it's really not just to like vent, but it's really because like, hey, someone else probably needs this because when I was in the trenches and I was going through it, I needed it. So if they read this and they know that they've gone through it, then they know that they're not alone. And like, just knowing that you're not alone and someone else has made it out of that really difficult time makes such a difference. So on the podcast, it's even deeper than just me mailing someone a book and then reading it and DMing me saying, hey, that really touched me. I've gone through that and that's so meaningful to me. Um, it's bigger than that in a sense that like, we're actually having a meaningful conversation and we can exchange um, stories and, and they can share as much as they want or as little as they want. So I, I really enjoy the connection. People, I think a lot of times are even that are, have, are in your family or, you know, or people, you know, are willing to share a lot about their own experiences and who they are. They're just waiting for people to ask about it. I found out things about them that I didn't know, like dreams they had and hopes they had. So it's like just posing certain questions, like you said, or like having that dialogue or bringing up certain things that I'm working on. Someone will say, oh, you created a course? Oh, well, I've been wanting to do this course about this, or I've been wanting to start this podcast. And you're like, I didn't know you want to do a podcast about what? Cool. You know, and you just kind of get to know like all these things about people just from sharing like what you're doing in the creative space. You mentioned the, that a part of you writing the books is to share them, right? Like otherwise you would just be writing in your journal. Like there's, there certainly has to be a part of it that you mm -hmm. want to share this and share your experiences because like you said, like a lot of people have similar ones. And I think about that as, you know, I, I always feel like I should be writing in a journal more. It's something that's extremely cathartic when I get to do it, but I don't do it nearly as much as I should. And it's interesting. I was thinking the themes that you write about, about heartbreak and recovering and all these things. And I remember that I found, I found my journal entry, like journals that I had written a couple of years ago during a breakup 
And it was so fascinating to look back on the feelings that you have there and then how that morphs over time as you process that, but still look back and be like, okay, my feelings back then were valid, but it's fascinating how, you know, your perspective on all those things changes over time. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I can look back at some books, uh, the first book, especially, and I'm like, oh, I was wrong. You know what I mean? You feel differently now. I was wrong. Like there was just some things that I was seeing from, a you know, and I really, again, this is maturity and perspective, but like, I really stopped seeing him as a human being. Like, you know, we kind of lose sight, right? Like you might've looked back at something you wrote and you're like, Ooh, well, she, if I was hurting and I was broken, this person was probably in a similar space and just responding to that very differently. And I, I was very like, judgmental of how he was responding to things but at the same time some of my movements were not exactly you know loving and careful you know it's just funny the way we see ourselves at the time when we're going through something and we're especially when we're broken we can feel um kind of a victim you know of our circumstances so coming through that I think the coolest part about it is just seeing the growth and being like wow yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that that way. I probably should have handled that a little bit better. I probably should have changed um, what I said or my approach. And I actually stopped printing my first book because some of it was just so difficult to go back and read that I was like, I can't believe I'm even sharing this. I'm going to not print this anymore. Really? That's fascinating to me because like, I, I totally get it though, because of course, when you look back at anything that you wrote, especially when you're talking about yourself and something really personal, is that you can look back and it's one of those like, oh, honey, like, oh, oh, no, he didn't, he didn't know, or, you know, right. all these things feel so different now. But I was listening to one of your podcast episodes, I think it was the most recent one that you had done. And you were talking about how, you know, for you, you know, writing is kind of, I think you said it's a documentation to show that it happened. And so like, it is something that is fascinating where you're like, okay, I maybe even disagree with myself back then, but these things did happen. And it, That's on, some true. Level, on some level, like <laughs> your feelings back then were valid too. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 so what does valid mean, right? Let's right, talk yeah, about yeah. validity. Right, or they, I guess they happened, right? You don't even have to say they're valid, right. but they didn't happen. <laughs> yes, you know, I, I, I think lately, and I, I've been reflecting on that within myself because I'm very big on like, your feelings are valid, your feelings aren't valid. Right. are valid and sometimes it's like well was that valid or was that you know right I and think so, maybe maybe it's better to say that your feelings happened right they were real yeah they were real this right. was a real this was a real emotion this was real life and some of the emotions were valid like you have a right to feel slighted or, or upset or angry when someone does certain things or says certain things but I love how you can see that growth and like you said it, it did happen and I can't not printing it doesn't erase it, especially when everyone you know that's close to you already owns it and they already read it. Oh, that's gotta be interesting that like you also, I didn't even think about this, but it's obvious that like a lot of people that you knew that I don't know how, if they were all familiar with your circumstance or like to that extent. And then they had to, they read that. That had to be really interesting to have conversations with people afterwards, after they had read it. It was, And, and here's the thing. A lot of it was like, oh my God, I had no idea you went through that. I had no idea that was happening. That was, yeah. that was a lot of the dialogue was that people just didn't know. Yeah. And then the hard thing with writing is so that you don't get sued, you can't put everything in. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. there were some critical things that I had to leave out because I'm like, 
that's too specific to this person. Yeah. And if, you know what I mean? Like if at any point he reads this, which he probably will because our close friends have, or if he orders a copy and reads it, you could be leaving yourself self open for a lawsuit. So like certain things that were very specific to him, um, I could not add in. You have to be, you have to tread very lightly with those things. So it was just challenging. Yeah, it, I still, if I'm being honest, it changed some relationships for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially like religiously, it changed how people like viewed me, um, especially people that knew me when I was married. And there are some friendships that never recovered from the things I wrote in that book um, because they just felt like you should not have put this out. Why would you do that? And yeah, it's it. some things never recovered. So like it taught me though, when you put things out, I was prepared for the backlash, but not really. Cause for me, it was just like, well, I'm sharing my story and do I regret putting it out? No, not at all. I mean, it started my journey as an author and it really made me comfortable um, publishing and, and being a creator. Like it established me as being creative and got me in touch with that other side of myself that I had lost like through marriage and motherhood and all that. So I don't regret it if I'm being honest. You know, writing something that personal and getting in touch with yourself, is it, I know you've written other books like, quotes to say in the mirror, I'm curious, is it easier or harder to write a book like that that's you know, maybe less drawing from your specific personal experience? Quotes to say in the mirror was so much easier. <laughs> it was. This was my light fun book. It has journal prompts in it. It's just like a beautiful book. I love this book. And some of them are still emotional. They're still about loving yourself. They're still about going for your dreams. But the journaling piece was me kind of sharing like, what I went through, the process that I went through or was still going through with other people um, in a less like heavy way. Cause I love journaling. Like I, I think journaling is, is just such an amazing way to heal, to process, even to have fun, to reflect, to show gratitude. Yeah. Um, you know what, you know, what was the hardest book I wrote? Honestly, you might not know it was the Brown Teacher's I do. Guide to Education. This I, was, I was going to write or ask about it. I, I did do my homework. You did your homework. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I do want to ask about that too, but specifically, I feel like when you write a book called, you know, quotes to say in front of the mirror, I feel like we talked about one of mine that I like to say, but what are some of the quotes that you like to say in front of the mirror? Some of the ones that you like to go back to. I, this is probably one of my favorite ones. Speak kindly to yourself as you start to discover the things you want to change. Because sometimes as we like learn the things that we want to change, we start to become hypercritical of ourselves. Like, it's like me reading back on that book, like, oh my gosh, uh, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe, you know, but at the same time, we want to like, just be kind to yourself. That doesn't mean you're making excuses for yourself. And then another one is you do not need to earn their love. You are worthy all on your own. Um, that's probably my second favorite one because I feel like, um, learning to not be so codependent was a big thing for me because we learned that, you know, codependency, we overcompensate, we, we, we do things beyond our own comfort zone for the love and approval of other people. Oprah calls it the disease to please. And for me, it was unlearning all of that, like literally unlearning how to say, oh, I'm not comfortable going further with that, or this stops here and setting those boundaries. So that quote for me was about um, setting boundaries. And when I say setting boundaries, I mean, setting them for myself. You know, this is an education podcast, like first and foremost. So I I do want to ask being an educator, being a teacher, is that something that has always been something from when you were a kid that you wanted to do forever? Or was it something that you came to at a certain point in your life? 
So I always wanted to be a teacher, but I was torn between two majors. It was going to be creative writing and journalism as a minor. Mm. Well, journalism as the minor, uh, creative writing as the major. And then there was teaching. And I had to make a really difficult choice to switch my major from journalism and creative writing into teaching. Um, Who knows? Love- we could, our, our roles could be flipped on this podcast right now. That's true. That's true. Um, and so teaching was always my, my thing I wanted to do since I was a kid. Why? Why, was I, that, why since you were a kid? I don't know. I, I think I just loved um, interacting with people and helping people, you know, kind of that service mentality. Like you just want to help and kids are so like innocent and they're loving and they're such a great reward of working with kids. Like it really is. Like it's just seeing a student understand something that they didn't understand before and the appreciation and the gratitude that you get like from your students, not all of them every day, you're going to have tough days, but for the most part, like those connections that you make with your students and coming in and teaching and planning lessons. And like we, I had so many impactful teachers growing up. I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to have that type of impact on someone else's life. So I don't feel like I lost out at all by not doing that, but I definitely am very grateful that through the internet and all of these social media platforms, I was still able to start to get in touch with my first, my other love. I wouldn't call it my first love because I've, I've been writing stories since I was nine and I've also wanted to be a teacher since around that same time. So I, I think I just loved both equally and I was as I was so passionate about both. But one was going to pay the bills and one was going to leave me a starving artist. And so I chose um, the more practical path. Do you remember the first stories that you wrote when you were like nine? Oh, my gosh. I wish. I I know I wrote one about like a princess and a dragon or something like that. A great place Um, to start. A great place to start. Yes. Yes. I wrote some very like dramatic. um, High fantasy. yeah, love stories though were my thing, even as a kid. Isn't that weird? I, I mean, not like inappropriate, okay, but like yes, I, romance. I, 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 yes, but I was watching like Felicity and Dawson's Creek. <laughs> okay, yeah, and like all these very like high drama shows, yes. right? Melodramatic, yeah, yeah. At a very young age, so I was hardwired for like dramatic romance, right? So. I wrote about a lot of those like type of uh, storylines when I was a kid. I would sit for hours on typewriters. I would sit for hours at the big old computer and and write. And I just, um, at the time, I didn't realize what a gift that was that I could write. And I was using dialogue and punctuation. I mean, I was doing some really amazing things and writing some very long stories at a very, very young age. And that was, that's no small, no, no small feat, you know? At any age, it is horribly intimidating to sit down in front of the empty page do you have the high romance saga novel still in you do you is that coming out soon to be totally honest with you i am so intimidated to write a novel and I, i'm listen i'm gonna let you in on a little secret because nobody Please. knows this i've never even put this on instagram so you're you're getting exclusive right now i'm actually writing a novel and it is um i guess you could call it a romance novel it's, okay. it's gonna be like a modern romance novel I'm about a fourth of the way through and um haven't touched it in like six months (laughs) I love it I love you're getting back to the novel but it is that it's fiction is I've never been able to find a foothold with it people can hate it like people can genuinely hate your work but they could hate your first book and then it's almost like they hate you right so like isn't fiction less intimidating in that way so and, and I think it's hard too, because like I've started out with, you know, poetry, poetry books. Right. So yeah. it's like, who is this creative nonfiction prose 
poet person trying to write a novel. You don't know what you're doing. And it's just really intimidating. I don't know if I would rather have dropped the novel first. We talked a little bit about, you mentioned that you've had edu- you know, teachers growing up and in your life that were really awesome. And you kind of wanted to do that same thing for other people. This is a show where we're literally, teachers are nominated. And I'm curious for you, like, was there someone that you had specifically back then that really kind of put you on the path towards education or really made that feel like it was an option for you? I would have to say Mr. Johnson was my eighth grade teacher for ELA. And he definitely was so passionate about what he did. And he had such like strong relationships with students and he could talk to you like he was your dad and put you in line and put you in check and you weren't going to talk back and you weren't, you know, I don't care how sassy and rude you were to other people. He didn't tolerate that and you knew it. And that was eighth grade. But even before that, I would say Andrea Woods, my fifth grade teacher, she um, showed me like a level of like compassion and care when I was acting out um, that just really stuck with me. Like she gave me this teddy bear. I named this teddy bear PJ. Um, I loved that bear. I kept it for a long time Um, because she was just like, you know, if you feel lonely, I got you this bear and just the level of like care and concern. And she was known as like the mean teacher or the strict one. Yeah. Uh She had the reputation for being like really strict. And so, um, I really bonded with her and she's probably one of the most memorable teachers that I've had. Um, Michelle Hamlin, I think was my teacher in eighth grade or seventh grade. And I remember her being very kind. Um, I can't remember the content that they taught or the lessons, but I do, I remember their kindness and their spirit and how they made me feel. Um, and they humanized me, not just like you're a student, but I was a person first. And I, I won't, I won't forget that. Well, that's fascinating too, because when you're a teacher yourself, that has to be something that's always at the forefront of your mind too, that even if they don't come away from your class, remembering each and every thing of the content, like slope intercept form or something, some formula right. like that, that there are, they are going to remember how they were treated. Yes. Yes. I think that that's so critical that we show empathy for them, especially during these times, like, um, there are students who've lost loved ones or who've seen people get really sick or they've gotten sick. So just like, you know, being understanding when you set expectations or homework or this or that, I mean, you know, I'm, I know every teacher I talk to is seeing a lot of behavior um, because kids have been out of school, they've been virtual, uh, they've been masked, they've been at home, they've been unstructured. Um, so a lot of us have been on um, reduced schedules. I know Georgia, they only, the kids only went four days. Mm-hmm. Now they're going five days. So just kind of like trying to show that empathy as everyone kind of adjusts because the same struggles that we're having as adults, they're having as children, but they don't have the maturity or the even like brain development to actually like process all of this. This is a lot. Um, so just kind of moving forward with like a deeper sense of like empathy and, and patience really, which is not always easy when you know, you have a class, a big class, and you're trying to like get through standards, but also keep them safe. And there's a lot of different things that educators are, are juggling right now. Yeah. And it has to be authentic, right? Like kids can smell right through it. If it's just like, they feel like this is mental health week. Yeah, they can see through it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought up that book right there, the Brown Teacher's Guide to Education. I was just about to add, ask you about that because that is also an anthology where you brought in other voices, right? Yes, yes. I'm curious, what was the spark behind that? What made you want to create that project? Wish I, I was sitting one day talking to my friend and I was like, man, 
wouldn't it be cool if there was like a guidebook for new teachers, like an actual guide with like stories and tips and ways like, but not like an educator book in a sense of like a lot of jargon, but just like a keeping it real book, you mm -hmm. know, or so like, because, you know, you want to ask teachers sometimes like, okay, so what's the scoop? What's this culture like? What's this right. career like? What's this job like? And you can't always do that. So I wanted the book to kind of read almost like a gossipy conversation you right. were it's having the in the second teacher's part. Life. It's not just like, oh, how is that? It's like, no, but seriously, like, no, but seriously, yes. how is it? Yes. Yeah. And, and really geared toward like um, new and struggling teachers and then also teachers of color, yeah. because there were some things that were unique to me as a teacher of color that just weren't covered in my classes <laughs> and that weren't discussed and that no one really like prepared me for how to handle. So I want teachers to know like, not to scare them off, but be aware that these things might be said to you. Be aware that these things may happen. Be aware of how you might be viewed, um, you know, as a teacher of color and, and how to navigate that. So I took the perspective of um, um, different teachers. Some were language learners. Um, some were, you know, first generation to this country. Uh, some were, you know, first generation college students. So it was just, it was a really interesting, um, it was very hard to get things back from teachers because we're so busy. So I would say that <laughs> Don't was I know most, it. Yeah. Uh, man, that was the most frustrating part of the whole thing was like, oh, I can't finish. It took so long to finish this book. I'm sure because, that, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of different things that you could answer for this next question because I'm sure that you got a lot of really awesome parts that are from those teachers for the book. But for people that might be interested, I'm curious, were there any that when you read for the first time, one of the submissions that the teachers had that you're like, oh my gosh, that really stood out. That's, that's really incredible. Um, I would say the one written by the espresso educator, she goes, she was, you're allowed to use like a not, you know, fake name. I assume them, yeah. She was so honest. Like I ended up having to edit out some of her swearing, but it was hilarious. Like I was not offended by it at all. I just didn't want the audience to be um, too put off depending on who was going to read it. Um, but she you know, used African-American vernacular. It was so refreshing. It was so honest. Like this girl in real life can write me under the table. Like if, I, if she wrote a book, I would be on the street passing out copies because she used to have a blog called Eagle-Minded Wife. And she, I think it was called Eagle-Minded Wife. And just the talent and the power behind her words and the way she can like reach you. And so I feel like everyone was, else like- What was her chapter about? Oh gosh, it was an open letter. So what I found so cool about hers is I'll just like, I won't like read it to you, but she started it out like, I see you girl scratching and surviving and an espresso educator like myself. I want you to know that you are not out here alone in these academic streets. Like just part, like, yeah. just part, I, I can't write that. Style. Yeah. That's effortless. Effortless. Yes. Effortless. And she was so like, listen to her headings, develop yourself professionally. Don't burn, don't burn out and lose yourself love the whole child, take off the mask. And, you know, taking off the mask is about being yourself. We mean that metaphorically. She, <laughs> you have to say that. Yes. Really oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, this was pre-pandemic, people. Yeah. <laughs> no, funny. thank you for, <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, so I, I love hers. I think I, everyone did a great job. Let me just yeah. put that out there. I'm grateful to every single contributor. Um, but the way she really like ditched my format and wrote an open letter and didn't do the interview style and just kept it completely um, honest was so like refreshing and thought provoking that I just, uh, I, I, I thought that was cool. She wrote better than my section and it was my, my project. So I love her. 
That's awesome. All right. Well, I don't want to take up your entire evening. I've really only got one more question for you, which is, okay. and it's pretty general. I, I always like to ask people, like, what are things that are more important than people might realize? Or like, you know, what's something you wish people talked about more than they do? So I guess I'll put it to you this way. With, for people who are wanting to tap into their creativity and expand their horizons in creative ways, you know, what's something that you wish people talked about more about diving headlong into that when you don't have a lot of experience with it? The fulfillment that you mm. get from it. Yeah. Because we hear people talk about the no's or uh, you hear a lot of people, I don't have time. I don't have time. I've said it a lot in this interview. Like it's hard to find the time. But to, to look at my own books on a shelf, let me tell you, really talk about how uh, fulfilling it is because that's your motivation, right? Like you might not be making money off of it, might not be your full time, might not have the brand or the platform that you want, but how fulfilling those little milestones are when you start to like dive into your creativity. Yeah, making for making sake, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, well, I guess the last thing I'll ask you then is just, it's the middle of August now, school year's starting up. How are you feeling? Uh, it's challenging to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, How can it's it really, it's like a new state and new standards. Um, it was so challenging that I left the first day of school and I'm like, I don't know if I did the right thing. I really did. I went home and I, I I'm going to be complete. I cried for about 40 minutes. I was like, this is really hard between like the mask, uh, wearing a mask and worrying about my own health. Um, worrying about my daughter's health and safety, worrying about my students' health and safety. Um, are we going to get sick? If so, when and how bad and for how long? And it's just, uh, it's heavy. And you start to, um, you know, to question yourself and to, to have those feelings of pause, you know, and, and, and I guess doubt. Yeah. Um, so it took me a lot of like self-reflection prayer and, and talking to like um, my teammates and my other friends who are educators of how they're navigating it um, to kind of uh, get back on the, the bandwagon and, and get my thoughts together mentally. Uh, but I, I will say uh, feeling a bit of anxiety, um, but also um, joyful to have, you know, a classroom of students who are, are excited to learn. So trying to just continue to see um, that positive side when you when you reflect and you're grateful and you kind of combat that anxiety with gratitude, right? That's always good. Um, it helps us, helps me in particular to, to really stay grounded and stay focused on the work that's ahead and not get too uh, off track. Combat the anxiety with gratitude. I feel like that's a good place to leave the conversation. I feel like that's a perfect mm -hmm. ending point. <laughs> All right, well, hey, well, thank you so much for coming on and, and having a conversation. I really appreciate it. And I had a lot of thank fun. You. I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on this show. It's how we get great guests like Livia send them our way. Again, the email to do all that, to reach out about educators or stories you'd like us to cover is teacherslounge at niu.edu. Remember to subscribe, like, leave a rating, anything that you can do. Share it with your educator friends. Share it with parents. Share it with anyone that you think would like the show. And a big thank you, of course, to the Northern Illinois band, Kind Ofs, for the music you hear. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and I will be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.